Aloha, everyone, and welcome to another thrilling edition, that's right, of Our Undoing Radio. Uh, this is, I guess, a sequel, indirectly a sequel, sort of a sequel, has properties of a sequel, not quite a sequel, to the last episode on past life regression, in that there was another aspect to what the past life regressionist was saying and you don't have to have heard the last episode to listen to this one except to know that i had a or really my wife had a social media exchange with a uh, facebook friend who is a past life regression therapist and she was trying to make the case that transsexual people only feel trans because uh of all their having been other genders in past lives. Uh, you know, I guess switching back and forth, better one, better two, better one, better two. And it's no different than when a person of one race feels like they belong in another race and that that all stems from past lives. But the part I neglected to tell you, which is its own can of worms that we're gonna open here and delight in as as one does with a can of worms, uh, is that she could also, she said, relate to trans people and these other people, presumably, because she had done so much as a regression hypnotherapist and, you know, therapist with a question mark, but doing hypno hypnosis <laughs> on people and regressing them to whatever imaginary past lives they went to. Um, having done this for 30 years, she claims, uh, to people from all walks of life, it's easy for her to completely understand all of them, to understand where they're all coming from. And so this puts her above. So it's not the compassion of understanding you as you are because you know because she's been through your your type of life experience she's not saying that she doesn't have a shared life experience she she's saying she has retrieved so many memories from people over the years that she thinks she gets it and that getting it kind of um gives her a a, a more objective or transcendent uh, you know perhaps perspective almost like a parent to a child or like an enlightened person to the one who doesn't know what the heck they're talking about, right? Like that kind of thing. At least that's my takeaway. Um, but whatever it is, I mean, ultimately the crux of what she is definitely saying is that by hearing these people's alleged, but let's give it to her, these people's memories over and over again for 30 years, she's saying she can relate to how a trans person feels. And that's not possible. Uh, for the reasons my wife tried to explain to her, at, you know, with their minor back and forth exchange, you haven't spent a day in their shoes. You haven't, you've got this, this image of what you think it is like to be, for instance, trans, that's the case we were talking about. You have an image of that, but you don't have the experience of that. 
And it, these are worlds apart. You have an explanation, maybe. I mean, let's just, let's give her all the benefit of the doubt. You have an explanation, but much like the enlightened people say, the menu is not the food, right? The word is not the thing. But this gets into how we do, in fact, all of us live exactly like that. It's just easy to see in her example because it's so, it, it sticks out like a, like a thumb, a thumb that is sore. But we all, in large part, live from memory, right? We've talked about versions of this on the show. We take from the, I mean, our psychological makeup itself is taking from the past, modifying it, and projecting a future and kicking and screaming, climbing toward that future. Um, we also greet each other through memory. We don't really see the person in front of us. We see if they're a stranger. We see generally how we take in a new person is by immediately pinging them off our memory. Who are they like? What are they like? What do they remind me of? And this is a way to figure out who to watch out for, who you're going to be friendly with, you know, that sort of thing. The defenses are up. The guard is up. And the person you present is generally shallow. Um, and of course, there are those people who are like, no, I'm the same way I am all the time with everyone. And sure, but most people are not that way. Um, but even that is a defense. <laughs> even that person is living as a defense mechanism, right? Like, no, I am just the way I am. I'm that way with everybody. It's just what you see is what you get. Love it or leave it. Oh, well. I mean, all of that is like defensive posturing of warning off other people from being intimate with them because they fear intimacy, generally speaking. Of course, I don't have a psych degree, so I can't know that. Uh, but come on. <laughs> I digress. So we're all doing that. We're all living with this projection first based on memory. And we are a projection first based on memory. Uh based on cultural memory, the collective, and based on our own personal experiences. And furthermore, we've now created this computerized, um, mechanized way of interacting with people through the internet, uh, where we don't actually have to meet anyone at all, to even call them friends, to like them or love them. Um, we don't even have to meet them in person. We don't meet them in person. We don't get a sense of their body language. We don't get a feel for their energy. We don't, uh, you know, we don't get to read their face. We don't hear the inflection in their voice. We can't tell when they're joking or not. But somehow this is acceptable. This is where we're going or where we've gone. And this we call advancement. This we call evolution. Forward thinking. But it's actually more of the same thinking. Just a different way of doing it. Just an even more isolationist way of, of that version of living. Of just living out of memory. 
And the funny thing is, it sounds delusional, or it reads on the screen delusional when somebody who says, hey, I'm a past life regression therapist or hypnotist. Um, I know what it's like to be something that I am not because I've heard people talk about it over and over. And in their talking about it over and over, because they're talking about past lives, um, this gets into, we're all one, we're all, but it's this type of oneness-y uh, idea that comes from the, the, to her, fact that we are all sharing genders and races and all of that through past lives. So we are all each other, essentially. At least collectively, if not, if, if we're not like individually possessing one another, we're at least possessing each culture, each race, each sexuality, each gender preference, whatever. So in that way, she gets to this sort of oneness thing. And so in that oneness thing, um, she can be like, yeah, I get where you're coming from, but you don't get where you're deeply coming from because you don't understand that you're not who you think you are. You're just, this is just an aspect of you right now that you're living through but you'll be somebody else in the future and you were someone else in the past. And so don't over-identify. Don't be attached to who you are now. And there are some sort of spiritual type things in that, right? Uh, the thing of non-attachment and all that. But they just are getting warped into this, this thought construct because that's what thought does. When thought, we've talked about this, and this is an example of thought killing truth and making a facsimile out of truths, sort of shattering truth into truths, and then doing what thought will with, with those shards, making these little finger puppets of truths. Oh, look, we're all one because conformity. Look, we're all one because past life regression. Look, we're all one, therefore nothing you do as a separate self-sense matters. So don't sweat the small stuff. That'll be sixty ninety five. Mm, I know I said this was therapy, but you know it's uh, not exactly gonna be covered by insurance. I don't know how much she charges. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying. Um, so interestingly, this type of thinking has more in line with the person who's like, I just am who I am. Accept me as I am, or get out. <laughs> has more in line with that sort of defense mechanism type personality. It has more to do with, uh, dare I say, and again, I'm no psychologist, but uh, it seems to me, in my opinion, does that cover it? Does that cover all the grounds? Ugh. Anyway, uh, seems to me it has more to do with her own fear of intimacy. That she feels, well, whatever she feels, smarter than, more enlightened than. Now, I mean, she has private messaged me about my own book that apparently she's been reading. And she was like, hey, uh, what, what other books have like all of your experiences in them? Because that's what I want to read. I, I don't care. Like this book just reads like, oh, I know, but more, more than you do. Which she then qualifies and says, no, I get that for the masses. Like, right? Like the masses need that kind of... Uh, bullying, <laughs> I guess. But 
so she's like, you know, separating herself out from the masses. But I don't need that. I just want to hear your experiences. Well, guess what? The masses just want to hear my experiences insofar as anyone does. But I'm trying to go a little bit deeper than that with my work. And you're not into that, probably because you're not that deep. And also, oh, by the way, I poo-poo hypnosis and you're a hypnotist. And that's probably a problem. Um, but that is to say that it's an example of how I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. This idea of, of her being above in some way, whether she's more enlightened or more intelligent or just more with it, you know, whatever it is, it's that aboveness of like, oh, I've been doing this for years. I see the bigger pattern of the matrix here. And I have, you know, I don't know if she would call it compassion. I would call it condescension because it's, it's delusional more than it is true and healthy. Um, but that's what it is. When you see that bigger pulled out pattern that isn't there and you say, you know, I have understanding that, that you don't, and but you're wrong. <laughs> Where does that impulse come from? Does it not come from not wanting to feel intimacy, from having been hurt in your own life? And so you don't have to connect with actual people um, and understand them and see where they're coming from and try to have compassion and see through their eyes and all that. You can just sort of create some abstract idea of how we all are and ignore your own relationships or your own sense of needing relationship. And this, I know that this is picking on a person, but it's all of us. It's what we all do. It's just easy to see because this is, such, again, this is such a glaring example. Um, but we all, to an extent, do these types of things to one extent or another, because our psychological makeup is that. Because our psychological makeup is a front. We are the mask we wear. And when we can't stand it because it's unhealthy, when we're like, ah, I need to get better, and we don't know what that means, we don't know how to get better, we turn to people who tell us how to get better, and generally what they tell us is... You're not your mask. Here's how you change the mask. Uh, that's not you, but you can change it. Self-improvement. Or just watch your thoughts go by, not as self-improvement, but as a meditation. Um, you're not your thought. So own them, right? But that, again, is more of the same. That, again, is not identifying as who you actually are, but identifying with this projection of a higher self, this, this being you wish you were, something invisible to you, but which is deeply you. Which, again, is another sort of parody of truth. Because you're not really this, even though you are. Uh, this is a projection of the brain. It's just that there's enough wrong with, with how we present it to ourselves as therapy or as meditation to keep us in the matrix, to keep us here doing the same thing all over again, to keep us in thought. All these people who talk about the matrix and it's like, oh, what, a, what a nice catch-all word, but really what we're talking about is thought. It's to keep you 
alive in thought, as a thought construct. And if as a thought construct you come to the realization that that you are unhealthy and then you think, oh, then I need help, you're going to turn to other thought constructs for help when what you need to do is to be silence. Then you may have some sort of identification with others in in the way of understanding and compassion and all that. Or for yourself, or with you. But you can't, quote-unquote, get right with yourself um, if you're constantly just creating more noise. If you're noise and you're looking for silence, you can't just keep being more noise. And you can't look to other people who tell you how to be quiet because that's their noise, even if they're right. I mean, if they were right and they were completely 100% correct, they wouldn't be giving you advice at all because they'd know better. I mean, I'm not giving you advice. I'm, I'm giving you an explanation of how things are. And um, I may be wrong. I may be lying to you. I may be delusional. So don't believe me either. Just be silent. Be silence. And then see what power these past lives have, <laughs> if such a thing exists. See how all of these means of self-help are just condiments on the salad. No one of them is the salad. There's no one cure-all. There's just a little salt, a dash of pepper, and I don't know, paprika? What goes on a salad? <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. How would I know? <laughs> the thing that I find troubling about this, enough to do this episode, is because of how much it reminds me of what we're all doing in terms of the internet, in terms of... Uh, finding, quote-unquote, my tribe, which is usually whoever's angry about something politically or a group of people who are sick of talking politics and don't want to talk about it and are ignoring. Or people who are into, like, New Age stuff or, you know, like, you go down religious stuff or whatever it is. It's uh, We're at this point... I mean, just think about this. It just feels to me like we're at this point where not only are we at home, and why wouldn't we be? Because we do this, it's just mirroring how we are. But we're at home with um, living these online lives where we have no real connection to people, even though we feel we do, but we really don't. And now we're trying to find my tribe within that. So we're looking for a collective of people, and it's usually either people who you know, have similar or same interests as us or like one interest as us. And those are your people. And it doesn't matter if you really meet them in real life. It doesn't, like they could be a robot. They could be AI talking to you. You wouldn't know, who cares? As long as they say the words that you like to hear or they have the one interest that you have and then you block out the rest. And it's this blocking out the rest to do what? to feel like you're doing something you enjoy, are you really enjoying it? Like, even if it's just a knitting circle online, where you all get together and knit, because that's your happy place. Is there anything more? <laughs> anything more to your life <laughs> than that? Um, 
this gets to another little sort of thing, exchange, where I just posted something on Facebook about, isn't it weird? Just think, just think about how weird it is that life isn't enough for us. We need to have a reason to live. Like, so many people need a reason to live that if they don't find it, they'll kill themselves, essentially. And I include me in that. I mean, at some point, I felt suicidal. So, you know, what does it all mean? Where's my life going? You know, like we need this mental construct uh, to keep ourselves going because life isn't enough, even though we are life. Don't you find that just odd? And a number of people just sort of misinterpreted what I was saying and were trying to put it on, like, the man, right? Like, well, of course you need a purpose, because when you have a nine-to-five, you know, wage slave job, you need something else. You need, I mean, essentially what they're talking about is you need a vice. But okay, you need a purpose. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, before corporatocracy, hell, before you even joined a workforce, when you were a teenager, you felt this longing, right? It's the eternal search for meaning and... So you put it in all of these, um, you know, music and and philosophy and art and whatever it is that you pick up as a, a way to express it or to search for it, um, to express how you feel about having no meaning or to search for meaning. Um, and of course, in the old, ye old days, it was more religion-focused, pretty probably solely religion-focused of like, because you're a serf, or you're a slave, or you're a whatever, you're a farmer, and that's your life. So where do you put this need for meaning, this compartment, you compartmentalize it, and you put it into religion, and you give it to Jesus, and you say, oh, next life, or oh, in heaven, I'll, I'll find that meaning. Or my meaning is that Jesus comes first, God comes first, and life comes second, family comes second, whatever it is. Whatever the pecking order, you know that the invisible thing is first. And it just strikes me as odd that just, again, we are physical living organisms, and yet we need this thing. We need some, a lot of us need a reason to live, whether it's purpose, whether it's meaning. We need a reason to live. <laughs> Give me one good reason to live. I don't know, because you're alive? Because you're life? But again, some folks couldn't hear what I was getting at, or didn't want to, or whatever. Um, I guess they wanted to make it as though I'm making a judgment, but I'm not making a judgment. I'm just calling out how weird it is. Um, but where do you think that that comes from? Isn't it because we're not whole? We do not feel whole? And again, this is where someone like the regression therapist would come along and note that, well, but you already are whole, whether you know it or not. Therefore, you're whole. Therefore... Who cares how you feel? Don't worry about it. And it's like, that is such a blockage to actualizing truth or the self-identity of truth through you, the self-awareness, I should say, of truth through the vessel, through the body. We can't do that when we're the ones searching for meaning, when we're the ones searching for purpose, when we're the ones searching for truth. If truth is in fact consciousness per se, which needs to be the case coming through and as you, then you, searching for it and finding it, are finding a delusion, are finding that which is not truth and calling it truth. Even if what you find feels good, even if what you find feels like an epiphany, even if what you find feels as though it has evolved you in some way, because what it has done 
is evolved you in some way. Like it's a thought construct, again, a replica of truth. You know, it feels like living, breathing truth, but it's really a living, breathing thought construct that modifies you, but essentially keeps you the same. Doesn't shatter you for truth to be the case, presents this facsimile of truth, an AI version of truth, let's call it that. <laughs> uh, I don't mean that literally, but it, well, maybe I do mean it. I mean, it's artificial intelligence. It's true artificial intelligence, not the computerized version. Because that word intelligence isn't just about intellect, isn't just about reasoning and rationality. The word intelligence has all of it in there. The whole breadth of what it is to be living, sentient, being purpose, being meaning, not having purpose, not having meaning, being them, choicelessly, choicelessly aware as all of that. Because if you are you and you have meaning and have purpose, well, you can switch them out for something else. You can choose away from, and we do this all the time, right? In fact, we do this when we think we're evolving. <laughs> we're like, oh, well, I will, I, I now see the, the fault of that, or I now see the insignificance or the immaturity of that. I'm going to switch to this more mature thing. Or I'm fed up with all of it. It's not getting me what I want. It's not making me feel good enough. So screw it. I'm done with this. If you can choose away from it, from meaning, from purpose, from truth, then you're not truth. And therefore you're meaningless and purposeless. And so you're constantly searching for meaning and purpose and truth. <laughs> but do you, are you starting to see the problem here? You're searching for it as something out there. And then someone comes along and says, oh, well, it's all in you. And then to your mind, you think like, oh, it's all in me? Then I need to search within me. And then you start meditating and you start doing yoga and you do all this stuff to seek it out within you. Maybe you do shrooms or ayahuasca or whatever it is. You're, ser you're searching for this thing still. It's just it's an inward search and not an external search. Because you're the center. You're the focus. Oh, it's in me? Well, great. I'm still the star of the show. I will look for it there. Thought constructs, speaking to thought constructs about how to find that which is not comprised of thought is always going to lead you to more thought constructs. And the most appealing versions of those are the ones based on facsimiles of truth, which is not comprised of thought, which informs and becomes thought. Uh, on its way to death. <laughs> the moment truth is uttered, it is dead. The moment the timeless enters time through utterance, it is utterly useless. Except as an indicator. If you can understand the indicator, if you, can, if you care enough and are disciplined enough to really hone in on what's being said there, the part about you needing to not seek, but you needing to get out of the way for truth to be the case, for you to not exist anymore. Now you, like my regressionist friend here, can listen to this and say, oh, I get it. 
Okay, yeah, I've heard enough of these hour and doing episodes to to, to get what's going on here. I, I see what you're saying. And that's enough. Now I'm a master. That's enough. Now I have compassion for people. That's enough. Now I don't have to engage with this any longer because I know. But knowledge, when it comes to wholeness, truth, all the things we talk about here, knowledge is like an enemy. It tells you what you want to hear so that you remain a creature of knowledge. And instead of being truly autonomous, truly whole, truly one, truly aloneness, you will feel lonely. And you'll either block that out, or you'll type in some keywords to the search engine to find your tribe. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to you, all the world is your tribe. There are two ways to take that statement, and I mean them both. <laughs>